Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. On today's show, RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars 5 crowned queen Shay Coulee. The drag superstar discusses coming out to their reverend mother. And she was just like, are you gay? And I was like, yes, I am. And I saw her just reel back, and she was just so like, so you like men? And I was like, no, I like boys. Ongoing racism within the drag race fandom. And I feel like I have been able to study the delicate balance of how to handle the majority and handle white fans and white people to always kind of appeal to their ego in a way that allows them to hear my message and receive me. (laughs) But having to do that dance is exhausting. Managing their own business. If Beyonce can manage herself with the career that Beyonce has, I'm like, my little drag queen ass can do that too. And our shared love of The Real Housewives and the parallels between that franchise and Drag Race. Me and Valentina's discussion, I knew in that moment, I was like, this is my Real Housewives moment. And this is where we're going to have that moment where you're just all like, okay, like, we're both standing firm in like the way that we feel. So like, let's see who can come out on top of this conversation. Shut up, Evan. Hey guys, what's up? It's Evan Ross Katz, and you are listening to Shut Up, Evan, a podcast about gay shit and internet culture. I'm Evan Ross Katz, and I am joined once again by my producer, Matt, aka Stormageddon. Matt, how is it going? Good. I'm doing all right. Um, I am getting settled into a new apartment, which is always trying. And uh, I won't uh, bore the listeners with the long and storied drama of why, but there was a roof fire on my old building and we got displaced. And so we're now in a new apartment, but it's coming together. We're unpacking. There are less boxes than when we recorded last time, which is very exciting for me. I'm not a clutter person. I don't know if you can live amongst clutter, Evan, but not I can't yeah, no, do it. not well. <laughs> I'm very glad to hear that you've like finally settled in. Um, when you and I first connected for this podcast, you were in the midst of the fire had just happened, and you were living out of a hotel. And it's just, yeah. I'm so glad to hear that you are moving towards a, a is it called a final home? What is it called? It's like a permanent. It's, it's long term housing. Long term housing is the term. Um, yeah, I mean, we're. I, oh my we're, god, final home is what they use for. 
adopting animals, right? <laughs> I think okay, so. so. Yeah, so okay, sorry. <laughs> um, but but all that aside, I'm doing very well. Forever right? home. Sorry. Forever home. Yes, there we go. Um, but I am I'm doing well, all things considered. You know, the caveat that it's 2020 and all the other nonsense is still happening. How are you doing, Evan? That is an important caveat. Um, <laughs> I'm doing well. Uh, I have a bat, or what I think is a bat, currently living in, like, the area between my roof and the ceiling so this morning we were we were in the kitchen and we heard like a scratching noise um over in the office and i walked in there and it kept getting louder and louder and so that is the the current drama in my life is this i believe it's a bat i'm not (laughs) afraid of bats um i hope it's not like a person. I don't think there's enough room for it to be a person, but Yikes. it was a little scary just uh, hearing this scratching. And then in other animal news, uh, we have a little cat um, who I have nicknamed Parv um, that is just kind of living outside of our house. And uh, we found her the other day. And every morning when I wake up, she's outside. And so I got her water and I, we got cat food and we've been feeding her, which I know you're not supposed to do, but nope. she is so thin <laughs> and she is very, very domestic. I'm not petting her. I'm not letting her in the house. Um, but um, she was just too thin. I wasn't going to let a cat, like, I don't know. I couldn't help it. And she's so cute. So anyway, so I'm taking care of a cat and a bat. And uh, that is the update on my end. All right. Well, I hear <laughs> that we have a question from a listener. Would you like to share that question with the audience now? We do indeed. So this question comes from Johnny, who is one of the co-hosts of the podcast All Right Mary, which I cannot speak enough good things about. Um, And this is his question. Hey, Evan. uh, I am sending this voice message, voice text, uh, as a fan of your podcast. Shut up, Evan. Um, Congrats on the start of season two. Just wondering, just seeing if uh, your listeners... And I can uh, expect any commentary on the reboot of the Ellen DeGeneres show. Um, I know that season 18 or whatever just started. And she addressed things at the top of the show. There was an announcement about a co-executive producer and all of that. Um, Yeah, just wondering what your thoughts are on it all. And um, yeah, yeah. would love that to be at the top of the show somehow. I don't know. All right. Hope you're doing well. Bye. Yep. Well, surprise, bitch. It's at the top of the show. Um, yeah, that is a, a definitely a question I would love to delve into. Maybe let's talk a little bit about before answering the question. Maybe give the listeners a little insight to your, let's say, obsession with Ellen and her recent newsworthiness. Yeah, I mean, okay, so I want to first recognize the fact that I think Ellen DeGeneres is an absolute trailblazer within the LGBTQ plus community. I think that a person's legacy, um, the work of legacy is, is, is the long game. And I think that a lot of the goodwill that Ellen built over the years uh, is beginning to crumble. But I say that with the acknowledgement that she will always be a historic figure within our community. Um and not for nothing. I mean, having a Time Magazine cover um, announcing I'm gay, that's what the cover read, um, at that time in the 90s um, was a big deal. And it's yeah. not no longer a big deal just because of who she has started to reveal herself to be. So I think that this kind of kicked off. And when I say this, I mean sort of like the turning of Ellen DeGeneres um, happened um, 
in October of last year. So some pictures were released online of Laura and George Bush sitting with Ellen and Portia um, at an NFL game. It was uh, the Cowboys versus the Packers, to be exact. And that kind of went viral online with many people being like, what is Ellen? this beloved uh, talk show host and figure within, you know, the media doing with someone like George Bush, who I don't need to sort of recount the ways in which one might not want to be photographed with George Bush. And so that's when people first sort of took, um, kind of started to side-eye Ellen. And she went on her show afterwards and addressed the controversy that was blowing up online. She said, quote, they thought, why is a gay Hollywood liberal sitting next to a conservative Republican president? A lot of people were mad and they did what people do when they're mad. They tweet. But instead of um, sort of trying to contend with what people were getting at in their displeasure, um, she chose to highlight a tweet from someone that said, quote, Ellen and George Bush together makes me have faith in America again. And then she went on to say that, here's the thing, I'm friends with George Bush. In fact, I'm friends with a lot of people who don't share the same beliefs that I have. So in that moment, it was kind of like she was making this a situation of, um, we need to reach across the aisle. Um, When really, the issue was not that Ellen DeGeneres was sitting with a Republican. The issue was that Ellen DeGeneres was sitting with her friend, uh, George Bush. Um, So again, this was like the first instance of some dissonance between the feedback and the response. Um, But where I come into all of this... um, and where the obsession might come is from an interview that Ellen did with Dakota Johnson in December of 2019. I had no idea who Dakota Johnson was. Are you were you familiar? With, I mean, are you familiar with Dakota Johnson? I mean, I know I look at her face and I know I've seen her in stuff, but like yeah. I I don't I I couldn't tell you what I've seen her in, but I know I've seen her in in things on TV and in the movies. Yeah, I I had the exact same. That was that was my perception as well. So she goes online, she does this interview, and it. <sighs> So in this interview, basically, like, nothing really happens. It's not really interesting to recap. But basically, Ellen asks Dakota why she, Ellen, was not invited to Dakota Johnson's birthday party, at which point Dakota Johnson responds by saying, no, Ellen, you were invited. I did invite you. And they then have this little back and forth um, in which Dakota famously says, uh, ask Everybody, ask your producer, Jonathan. Uh, Footnote here, Jonathan, the producer, has subsequently been fired from the show, but we'll get to that in a second. Mm. But anyway, um, I became really obsessed with this back and forth, as I think a lot of people did online, and I I don't know why. I I have an (laughs) obsession with this moment. I think it sort of, if I were to sort of like crystallize why, I think it just, it informs a lot of those Hollywood relationships in which it's like, Two people that don't actually like each other, but neither is willing to resign to that fact. And so they just sort of like have this back and forth of like niceties. And there was just something about Dakota's, and I will say performance um, in that interview that sort of captured me as far as being like, okay, this woman knows something. That's like what I took away from it. And like, you know, I, there's not a, a gotcha moment. I mean, I guess it is a gotcha moment, but like, it's not it's not a big moment. But I guess also I was shocked to see that clip went mega viral. Yeah, it was all over. And I couldn't believe that we all were having a laugh about something, but we didn't kind of like know what the thing was. 
Yeah. And so that kind of became my early interest. And then in March, uh, there was a viral tweet that w- went around from a writer named Kevin T. Porter. And the tweet said, right now, we all need a little kindness, you know, like Ellen DeGeneres always talks about. She's also notoriously one of the meanest people alive. Respond to this with the most insane stories you've heard about Ellen being mean, and I'll match everyone with $2 to the LA Food Bank. Um, So a lot of money was raised. um, And in those responses, um, a lot of people, including former employees, started to come forward with allegations about um, Ellen DeGeneres not only not being a very good person, but not fostering the best work environment. Mm. And that sort of became the initial, um, okay, Ellen DeGeneres might not just be friends with George Bush, she might actively be treating mistreating her staff on the show. But again, this is Twitter. It's all allegations. There's no way to know if that former, if that even was a former employee, let alone if that former employee was telling the truth. Am I putting you to sleep yet? No, not yet. I'm good. I'm here. <laughs> um, and then I think things started to really nosedive at the beginning of the pandemic. So Ellen DeGeneres released a video early on in the pandemic, um, sort of when the Black Lives Matter movement was really picking up steam in in terms of the cultural conversation. In April, people called her out for comparing the coronavirus lockdowns to, quote, being in jail. And I think, again, talk about dissonance. I think that this was an, uh, yet another instance of, wow, maybe the world the, the, the world in which Ellen DeGeneres lives in is not the one that the rest of us are living in. She later apologized. She vowed to, quote, unquote, do better. Um, very vague, um, but basically said, for things to change, things must change. She said in a since-deleted tweet, I don't know what that means. And then, I'm going to speed things up here, but basically that's when everything started to come out. Ex-staffers came out. There were two BuzzFeed news reports that came forward in which staffers alleged a toxic work environment full of racism, intimidation, and fear. And this was cited as being a part of uh, the workplace environment for years on the show. Then in July, uh, an internal investigation by Warner Media began um, in which they started looking into current and past staffers. And that was when... Uh, executive producers Ed Glavin, Mary Connolly, and Andy Lasser released a joint statement to BuzzFeed taking full responsibility for the show's daily operations. July 30th, Ellen addressed the allegations in a staff letter that they released publicly, and the the fallout continued. You know, more producers came forward in July with allegations of sexual misconduct, and Ellen issued an apology again in August, and that brings us to today. Sorry if it's a little long-winded, but there are many facets to this story. (laughs) So everyone was kind of like, oh, the Ellen show is coming back after this summer in which it's just been accusation after accusation. And and not only accusations, but also the show and Ellen herself just seemed really ill-equipped to handle this moment, you know? Yeah. And so... Just last week, we had the return of The Ellen Show, um, and we got another Ellen apology. Um, but basically, the apology was, you know, it began with one, uh, one of those signature Ellen jokes in her monologue, which was like, I think a lot of stuff happened this summer, didn't it? Did I miss anything? And it's kind of like, yeah, no, Ellen, well, yeah, we, you, you missed a few things. Um, she seemed somewhat emotional, but she basically uh, admitted that things were that there had been misconduct that took place on her show and she was taking accountability. In what way she was taking accountability, we don't know. She said this, On day one of our show, I told everyone in our first meeting that the Ellen DeGeneres show would be a place of happiness. No one would ever raise their voice and everyone would be treated with respect. Obviously, something's changed and I'm disappointed to learn that this has not been the case. And for that, I am sorry. Anyone who knows me knows it's the opposite of what I believe and what I hoped for our show. So... 
okay. So there's an apology. Um, it's not for me to accept or, or, or reject. Um, but I think one thing that's interesting is sort of seeing how much Twitter and a lot of people have been galvanized in sort of taking the summation of all of these events and kind of showing the hypocrisy at play between someone who's largely built a media empire on this idea of kindness and who in their own practices um, seems to not only be not kind, but to be a kind of horrible human being. And so that's where the story lands as of today. And uh, my reaction to it is just like, it's, I don't, I don't know her, but my reaction is like, it seems that someone is being exposed for who they really are. And uh, I, I don't take joy in seeing like the fall of Ellen. And yet I would be lying if I said it doesn't feel vindicating is not the right word. Cause again, I don't have a vested interest in this, but I guess it's just, it's one of those moments that shows you that wealth can sort of make good people, can turn them into bad people. And I think someone who was once seen as sort of this um, enigmatic and important figure within our community, specifically when I say our community, I mean the LGBTQ plus community, that even someone that at one point you upheld and sort of as, as a, a, a figure of greatness within said community, that's a tough mantle to hold on to. And we're seeing that this person who was once sort of deified in some ways is in fact quite flawed. And so I think it's interesting to watch moving forward how this person, as I said earlier, that's built a brand on kindness, how they can move forward. And I think it's particularly interesting because they are forced with doing a talk show, you know, every day on television in which they have celebrity guests and in which they are a very public facing figure. So I guess it really, it remains to be seen. Um, what happens from here? Are you, how, how clued into the Ellen of it all were you prior to this monologue? So, I mean, I knew of some of the drama. I had seen the photos with George Bush. I'd seen her poor, very poor response that proved that she cared more about being rich than being gay was a lot, what a lot of people were yelling. Mm. Not my words, but, but what a lot of people were yelling. You know, I mean, my, I watched her show whenever I was home and could catch it. I, of course, watched her sitcom like every other young gaby that came along. Like we, like she was influential back then. But I, I, yeah, I didn't know how much it had blown up and the Dakota Johnson stuff. I hadn't seen since until you sent it to me. And so, I mean, it's all I will say is that if you are the star of a show and you say that you don't know that there is misconduct going on, if that is what you are saying, you are lying. There is no way you do not know when your face is on the poster. I find that to be almost impossible. It's not completely impossible. She could not know, but I find it very hard to believe. And so I hope that what she's saying she means, but also I I think in the age of social media and all of this you know exposure both good and bad it's gonna be a lot harder for her to build that night nice person motif together again when people are seeing her for who she really is if this is who she really is absolutely and i think you know what my biggest takeaway from this because you'll see a lot of like ardent ellen defenders online god love them um but i think one of the interesting things that this sort of reveals and this is just one instance of many with people which is that like be careful who you stand um do not stand blindly and and one reason why I tend to be the only person that I stand, I am very explicit about this, is Sarah Michelle Gellar. I will stand no one else because to stand means 
you sink with the ship. And I think a lot of people blindly stand these days and then come into situations in which their fave does something really problematic. And because of a, an, a loyalty, a bizarre loyalty that, that we feel because you know, like we, when you love a celebrity, it, it, it sometimes the line, it's hard to, you, you start to feel a real genuine connection to them, even yeah. though it's one-sided. And I think what happens in some of these instances is you start to defend someone when they do something indefensible because they feel like family to you. They feel yep. important. They feel like you want to defend them and you end up looking like Boo Boo the Fool because it's like, you know, this person might, again, and also this person's not going to go down with your ship, right? You're going yeah. down with theirs. So I think one takeaway I have with Ellen and a lot of these people that are defending her, which is that you can still love Ellen. You can still love the Ellen DeGeneres show. You can say she's a great talk show host. You can say she is a prolific figure within the LGBTQ plus community. I will agree with you on some of those things while also recognizing the reality of these allegations and the idea that they have risen to not just being Twitter hearsay, as was the case in the beginning. No, there has been a full-on investigation. Executives have left the show, et cetera. So I think it's just interesting that aspect, but also the fact that Ellen's going to be okay. That's yeah. sort of like the underline of it all, which is that like Ellen is, is she, a, I, I, be, I mean, she's, if she's not a billionaire, she is, she's got a lot of millions to her name. She will be okay. Even if the show were to not have come back, which I thought for a moment would be the case, there were a lot of uh, pleas to have someone replace Ellen on Mm -hmm. the Ellen show, which would have been interesting. It would have been amazing if she had gotten like Ellen Page or like another Ellen to come in so they could have retained the name. But anyway, um, she still has the show. She would have her fortune without the show moving forward, but she will continue to have a fortune now. Ellen will be okay. So I think one thing I'm interested in is the restorative justice of it all, which is to say, can we see Ellen change? And I don't just mean the work environment and the toxicity that's been created, but can Ellen start to more meaningfully respond to this sort of change in understanding of who what her character is and become a better person as a result. And you know what? I will end by saying I am hopeful that that's the case. I yeah. will always love that Dakota Johnson interview, and I think it revealed a lot more than just what was said. But and I but I don't have strong feelings that Ellen is a horrible human being. Right. I think Ellen has been exposed for doing horrible things. Um but I'm, I want to believe that someone like an Ellen DeGeneres can change. And you know what? If she doesn't, no harm, no foul to me. Because, I, again, I, I, I never stand this woman to begin with. Um, and uh, I was going to say I wish her the best. I don't. I wish any of the staffers um, that were wronged by her and this company, I wish them the best. I hope that they um, yeah. find new work. And I, 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 I am rooting for them in all of this. Anyway... All of that to say, I hope that answered your question, Johnny. I will remain uh, on the Ellen beat, but more importantly, I will remain on the Dakota Johnson beat. And I look forward to the day, if it ever happens, when Dakota Johnson is back on that show. Um, I don't think it will happen, but it would be historic. I think it'd be super important. I agree. Um, I think we can... We, I promise, listeners, we will move on to this episode's content in just a moment. But first, I think it's really important, Evan, that we talk a little bit about the Patreon that you have for this show that we have. Indeed. Yeah, so we had the Patreon for season one, and in season two, we kind of rejudged it a bit. So for those of you that aren't currently subscribing to the Patreon, patreon.com 
forward slash shut up evan my boyfriend will appreciate me understanding <laughs> the difference between the forward and the backslash but anyway um this season it's going to be you're going to get video uh interviews of the podcast so instead of listening in audio form you will see the videos those videos will be unedited so you will see entire questions and whole chunks of the interview that did not make it into the show and some pretty funny gaffes because all of the gaffes will stay in the video version that will be bi-weekly on the day of the episode airing and then in the interim week so every other week you will sort of get um monologues like this one so maybe maybe this is bad advertising um, but you'll get monologues on a number of topics um ranging from the real housewives to the view we just i just did a whole one where i spoke about lizzo's historic vogue cover um her being the first black plus size model on the cover of vogue talking about um what that all means and and the sort of the criticisms around it um but additionally you'll get a backlog of episodes, including unreleased episodes. So for instance, we have an hour-long interview with Trixie Mattel that was the original unaired pilot for Shut Up Evan that never aired. That's available on the Patreon, um, as well as all of the bonus interviews from season one with some of our incredible guests, including Christopher John Rogers and Isaac Bizrahi, um, Charisma Carpenter, and so many more. So yes, I highly encourage people. There are three tiers. There's a $2 tier, a $5 tier, and a $10 tier. Um, whatever tier you are, you will be loved and appreciated. But um, I, I just want to thank all of our current Patreons and any new Patreons. It's uh, it's really fun to kind of go deeper um, and kind of be able to talk about topics that are not just centered around our guests, but things this Ellen one would be one I would be happy to go even deeper on the Patreon with. So anyway, that's the deal with the Patreon. All right. Awesome. Well, now, why don't you actually tell the listeners, even though they've clicked on the episode so they know, who our incredible guest is, and let's mm. talk a little bit about it. Yeah, so our guest today is the incredible, incomparable Shea Coulee, contestant on season nine of Drag Race and the winner of All-Stars 5. It took me a minute because I was like, oh my God, how many All-Stars in are we? And uh, I'm really excited for people to hear this interview. Shea's had an incredible year, and I think that in a year, I need not remind you, Matt, or anyone listening about... <laughs> hellscape it is this year i think in in everything that we've that's been going on i feel like drag race all-stars five was a supreme moment of joy um when it aired and i think seeing both shay's talents but also the talents of all those queens was a bright spot in an otherwise uh very dim and grim time and so I'm, i'm delighted to have them on and to have them sort of just be able to talk not only about drag race but also about uh sort of managing their own business, which I think is one of the most impressive things about yeah. them. Um, and then also just talking about housewives and some dumb shit that I love gabbing with people about. And I was uh, overjoyed that Shay was more than happy to gab about it. Um, a few things to mention up top. There were some audio issues. Um, it's hard to tell when we're recording these episodes because we recorded through Zoom that uh, if the audio is on our end, on that, their end, they could sound perfectly fine on Zoom and then have some problem with the capture. So... Um, our incredible editor, Ryan, did miracle work with this audio, but it is a little crunchier than usual, so we wanted to give you a heads up on that. Also, I am pretty quiet in this episode. Um, I think it was mostly because I was just in awe of Shay. Shay was someone I was not familiar with before this interview, and then I researched up and down afterwards. I mean, the the interview itself informed a lot, but they are so impressive and incredible, and the things that they have accomplished, and I just... I was along for the ride as if I were listening to the podcast live. It was really phenomenal, and I'm really excited for everyone to get to hear it. 
I am excited too. Before we throw to that, one last mention. Um, for those of you following along with my survivor journey, I just wanted to say really briefly, this has a point. Um, I just wrapped season five. So I just finished China. I'm about to begin Micronesia. I understand that's like the season, but I just wanted to put a call to action out. Um, if any of you, I want to book a survivor contestant on shut up Evan. And I have a couple of ideas of who that should be, but I am very interested because there seems to be a very vocal survivor fan base that I'm very excited to now count myself among. If you have thoughts around which survivor contestant, preferably an LGBTQ plus one um, or a great ally, um, please, you know, hop in the DMs and let me know because I definitely want to get a survivor contestant on this show. Okay. So with all of that said, without any further ado, um, let's turn things over to the fabulous Shea Coulee. Let's do it. They are the current reigning, the crown queen and winner of RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars 5. They are a drag performer, musician, rapper, activist, and prominent fixture in the Chicago nightlife scene who first came to international prominence appearing on the ninth season of RuPaul's Drag Race. That same year, in 2017, they co-produced, directed, and starred in their own film, Lipstick City. They performed as a background dancer for Christina Aguilera during opening ceremony's spring-summer 2019 collection presentation and were featured in Iggy Azalea's Sally Walker video that same year. They have appeared in publications including Vogue, Cosmopolitan, Paper, BET, Esquire, and more. They even introduced a limited edition beer, Shea Kulele, earlier this year. I had a sip and I can confirm they taste delicious. Sonically, they have released their debut album, Kulele D, in 2017. The following year, their single, Creme Brulee, was named as the best drag music video of 2018 by Billboard. Their most recent single, Collide, featuring Guest and Mickey Blanco, is a sultry club bop that's been on repeat for me since it debuted in June. They also contributed verses on RuPaul's song, Category Is, and the drag race singles, I'm In Love and Clap Back. They've been a prominent advocate within the Black Lives Matter movement, using their platform to uplift Black folks, specifically Black women, and more specifically, Black trans women. They are an inspiration, a thought leader, an artiste with a capital A. They are humble but self-assured, self-determined, creative in every fiber of their being. They are, in a word, a legend. That's two words. And I am thrilled that they are here with us today. They are Shay Coulee. Hi, Shay. Oh my God, thank you so much, Evan. That is so sweet. I'm so excited and thrilled to be here. How are you? You know, I'm doing well. You are a really fun queen to research because you've done so much. <laughs> wow, and it's crazy because I'm just getting started. <laughs> like, yes. I feel like you listing those things, like those accomplishments and moments makes me feel like when I would look back at my high school yearbook, I was that girl that was like always trying to be in the clubs and be active because I just love, I think I just love interacting, being active, being parts of communities and like creating and contributing. I'm an Aquarius, you know, what can I say? Fuck yeah. So before we get into it, I just want to ask, how are you feeling? Because you've had a whirlwind couple of months on top of everything that is going on in the world writ large. And so before we get into it, just how are you? I've been taking this moment to reflect and relax and like enjoy all the hard work <laughs> that led up to winning All-Stars and just like everything that has come with it. So I've been, I feel like, quarantine has been an interesting blessing because it's allowed me to just kind of reground myself and being back home in Chicago after being on the road for so many years has just fed my soul in such a way that I didn't even realize that I needed. So I'm really excited to just kind of continue 
relaxing, spending time with my friends and my family and nurture my tomatoes in my garden. Yes. Yeah, no, they're thriving, uh, girl. So yeah, I'm really excited about just, I just feel grounded and it's nice. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah. That's terrific. Now, before we get into the bulk of the interview, I do want to start by taking a moment to honor the life of actor Chadwick Boseman. And I wanted to get your reaction, not only as a fan of his, but because your verse on the All Stars 5 track, I'm in Love, was dedicated to Chadwick, most memorably with the lyric, he's the king and I'm the queen. I'm dreaming about what kind of life we'll leave. I'm in love with Chadwick Boseman. Oh yeah, girl, he's my boo. The mother tucking Black Panther, what you gonna do? He's tall, dark, long, and lean. And he rocks my kiddie world like you never seen. He's the king. And I'm his queen. I'm dreaming about what kind of life will be. What did Chadwick Boseman mean to you? Chadwick Boseman is one of those artists that I aspire to be like because he operated through such a sense of humility and quiet confidence and always wanted to utilize his gifts and abilities to uplift and help others, you know? And he just was such a beautiful soul. Having never even met him, it just was so clear that he just came from such a pure place and he brought so much joy and inspiration to the work that he did. And he was such a a dedicated and a commanding actor and someone that I always enjoyed watching on screen. And it, it just is so heartbreaking that he's no longer here but he leaves behind him such a wonderful legacy and I'm glad that I got to express that love for him in the context of All Stars 5 so absolutely and if anyone hasn't given that song a recent listen of the many (laughs) wonderful songs in the Drag Race canon that holds up very well and I know we're not choosing favorite verses but um, that song so obviously it was an unusual circumstance right you're crowned from home I'm sure this was not what you were expecting for the all-stars five experience what was it like for you having all of this attention in this fanfare and not being able to go out to the club and celebrate with your fans i know what i had expected but once covid really started happening and things started changing in march before the season even aired i knew that that it just was not going to be the same and i think it's uh, in so many ways i was just all like okay well like what are we going to do next? You know, how will it pan out? I think that thing that was really interesting about it, and one thing that I've noticed to be a pattern in my life is I really do spend a lot, I'm such a dreamer, and I spend a lot of time like thinking about how I think things will go. And I'm always so pleasantly surprised that there's always some funny creative twist that I feel like the universe always puts on things. And I just learn to accept them for what they are but being surrounded by my like closest friends and loved ones was like i felt like joan crawford when she was like <laughs> accepting the oscar like from yeah. her home for um mildred Pierce. That's- i just that's how it felt it was like you know and it's great because then we have we have the internet and my phone was blowing up with just like so much positive text and it was cute yeah, I'm curious how you handled your phone blowing up because I texted you soon after and I, I was reluctant to do so because I was like, okay, their phone is obviously blowing up right now because of the circumstance in which not only are all the people that would regularly be texting you doing so, mm-hmm. but all of those that might have told you in person mm-hmm. are now relegated to text message. How long did it take until your phone calmed down? I'd say it was like all weekend. Mm-hmm. It was just like so many like little blue dots like in my <laughs> message. like, And I was just like, 
some people I really didn't even, I'm sure there are people I still haven't gotten back to, but, <laughs> and the thing is, I don't know who this individual is. And by the pure chance that they happen to be a listener, I had an old number that when my Instagram got hacked during season nine, got posted online and I had to like change it. And this had been my number since I was 17 years old, you know, and got my first cell phone. So that person still to this day gets text messages for me. And it's been like three years. And there are people that did tell me that they even called them back to be like, hey, just letting you know, this is no longer Shay's number. Sorry, I did not win Drag Race, but yeah, no, this isn't Shay. And I just, I, to her, I apologize. And I just wish I could send you a fruit basket or something because I you know she got it bad for that weekend. <laughs> I love that. Speaking of social media, on August 18th, you tweeted, I feel like I got to take a little Twitter break. I've been making efforts to focus more on mental health, but this app has got me feeling some sort of way. I feel like I see nothing but triggering media and devastating news in my feed, and my heart just can't take much more of it. Since taking that social media absence, have you felt a change at all? You mean like within myself personally? Yes. I mean, yes. obviously the world has continued to go to shit in your absence. I can attest. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. I had to just kind of like step back for a moment. There's like something that's so lovely, I feel like about Twitter because so many people are just easily accessible and within reach. And so many different types of media are accessible and within reach. And you can get so many different types of stories and be aware and informed and I love that about the app but it also is like a slippery slope because I can go from having a moment where I'm like laughing kicking over like silly reality television memes to seeing some of the most traumatic just graphic things with no warning and I feel like it's like this weird shift that sometimes I'm just like mentally not capable of because I'm such an empath and like it, things like will really take a toll and so I just was like yeah there have been about like a solid like 10 days where I was like Twitter is not that fun for me so I just need to like as much as I love having like the fun keys and conversations and engaging I was just like y'all I gotta like pull back from the timeline a little bit because it's scary. Yeah, I mean, I can't tell you how many days I wish I had the wherewithal to make the same choice that you made. Since doing that, have you found a greater sense of calm? Has it had an effect on you in terms of quieting some of the toxicity? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm just living my little cottagecore fantasy over here, making dinner, pickling onions, growing tomatoes. So, like, me doing those things and like writing and journaling and like coming up with ideas. I also just signed a lease to an artist studio. So I've been like moving into there and putting like my drag and setting up this studio space. So I've been able to like contribute to building a creative space so I can be the kind of artist that like I want to be. And I, I know that I can be. And for me, like I know that I am like my strongest when I can just kind of like shut myself off from the world in a space that is just like truly inspiring and just allow my imagination to run wild. So having the opportunity to kind of like get this space set up together has been really good for me. <laughs> like not focusing on Twitter, but just creating. It's been so, so nice. 
Yeah, I'm so glad to hear that. I do want to ask about a tweet from one of your Drag Race sisters recently. You might not have seen it because you haven't been on the platform, but I came across this tweet and it hurt me in my in my heart to read it. It's from your sister, the Widow Von Du. On August 30th, Widow tweeted, thank you to the fandom of Drag Race. You did it. You ran another person of color away from what they love. You make me feel like I should have just stayed in Kansas City Queen. I hate doing this so much and I don't want to do this anymore. Now, Widow has since tweeted thanking everyone who reached out, called and checked in on her and saying that she can feel the love and it's giving her hope that things will get better. But still, I'm curious if you have any reaction to seeing a fellow Drag Race sister go through this. Yeah, see, that's like those things, like in the same way you said, it just like hurts my heart to hear somebody say that they're having these experiences with people who want to say such negative and harsh things. I, I feel like that's another part of it. I am fortunate to not really deal with many trolls, but like the things that bother me on the internet are seeing Black people executed on the daily, which is something that Weirdo Vandu also has to be subjected to being a Black person existing in the world. But then all of a sudden, you also have people who are part of a quote-unquote fandom devaluing you, talking down to you, talking poorly about you. And it's like this type of online bullying that is just so nasty when we literally come from a show and a platform where we're preaching like love and acceptance and you guys are out here just being so just like emboldened with these negative opinions. I feel so bad that that made her in many ways feel like she lost her full entire love for her art and for the art of drag. But I've seen that happen to many sisters before. And I feel like if anybody out there, like I just like plead with you, if you are a human being who has ever had a dream or know what it feels like to have a dream, please don't go out there and try and crush it for somebody else. I just don't even know what that could possibly do for you. I can't understand it. And I'm just asking you to just think about how it would feel for somebody to try and crush your dream. It's just not, it's not cool. Yeah. It's not. I just want to add too, for people out there that are seeing this negativity online, one really great way to counteract it is when you see a queen tweeting something like this and mentioning the hate they're giving, send them love. I feel like more often than not, when we see these people that are expressing the fact that they're not feeling love, it's like you have this platform and just as it's so easy for people to spread hate, it's just as easy to spread love. And so I encourage anyone out there, not just with Widow, with any of the queens you love, show love, spread love. As you mentioned, Shay, it's literally the mantra of the show. Yeah. So let's talk about All-Stars 5. There was a lot of fan pressure and expectation to see you on All-Stars 3 and All-Stars 4 after your original season because everyone fucking loved you, you know? No. How could you not? <laughs> and I have to imagine that you were approached to come on. What made you decide that season 5 that you felt ready? I feel like people want to see, like, change. And I felt like in many ways... I had really showcased who I was on season nine. And I felt like what I went and did on All Stars was just like show like a more fully realized version of myself. But I, I wanted to use that to also build anticipation. Like one thing that I love the beginning of like a Beyonce concert is like the anticipation of like when you're gonna see her and it may just be her silhouette and it may just be her shoe for a couple seconds, but you are gonna be sitting there just like on the edge of your seat waiting for her. And then when you see her, you're just like, 
That's how I wanted everyone to feel. I wanted them to be like, when are we going to see Shea Coulee walk back into that workroom? And I love that you took that time because I think a lot of the other queens that come on the show, they have something to prove about their original season. And I felt like you were a queen that did it. You really gave us so much during your original season. So to your point, it's like building up that anticipation, I think worked so well because it just sort of satisfied this need for us to go deeper, but not to necessarily, we didn't need to be reintroduced to Shay. We just wanted more of Shay. And so I think that you built that anticipation so well. Yeah. So let's go back to your youth. You are the youngest of five children, mm-hmm. born in Chicago, Illinois, raised in Plainfield, correct? Born in Warsaw, Indiana, mm. raised in Plainfield, Illinois. Yes. So you wanted a twist. Yes. <laughs> yes. So what was your early life growing up in a household that big? So funny because also being the youngest, it gave me the opportunity to observe such dynamic and different personalities. Like all of us are so completely different. For my parents, I cannot imagine what it was like managing all five of these personalities. (laughs) It was loud. It was boisterous. There was just like always something happening. And I took it as an opportunity to learn a lot from my older siblings, got a lot of music taste from them. You know, it was cute. Like my childhood was adorable. I'm very fortunate that I got to like run around a house that was full of love, like something that was out of a sitcom. Like it really was. Now, your mother, Reverend Merrill, is a minister, and I know you two are very close today. What was your coming out process like with her? So it was the eve of my 16th birthday. We were watching Desperate Housewives because, like, me and my family, like, always after Sunday dinner, we would watch the ABC lineup with Desperate Housewives and Grey's Anatomy. Mm. And you know, Breezanne DeCamp, yes, classic. She had her gay son, her gay teenage son. And there's this episode where, you know, like Mary Louise is like narrating the end, like, you know, whatever. And they show him and his boyfriend making out, like pressed up against the shed in the back. My mother was like, I cannot believe that they just showed two boys, two young boys making out on television. She just like went on this tangent and I'm sitting there just posted up just like, (laughs) not saying a word (laughs) and then because she already knew she asked me and she was like so you don't have anything to say about this like everybody in the room asked me my opinion personally and I was just like um yeah no I don't see anything wrong with that and she was just like are you gay and I was like yes I am and I saw her just reel back and she was just so like, so you like men? And I was like, no, I like boys. <laughs> <laughs> and like, she starts crying. My dad's looking at her like, she's a Gemini. He's looking at her like, you brought this on yourself. And for a few years there, like while I was still in high school, we were like tense, but like, After I moved away to college, you know, we were able to put like a little bit of distance in between us. It like gave us the opportunity to just come back together. And we talked on the phone like every day. She's my best friend. I just love her to the moon and back. She's just like such a lovely person. 
There's a video I saw a while back, I think it was on Twitter, of you surprising your mom by coming home. She didn't know that you were going to be there. Oh, yeah. The expression of joy on your mom's face when she sees you. Mm-hmm. It is so heartwarming. The love that she feels for you just emanates from her. Mm-hmm. And the love that you feel for her right back. And I, I just, I love seeing that moment between the two of you. Do you remember the first time that you saw a queer person, whether it be on film or television or in a magazine? Do you remember that first time? Yeah, it was my older sister, Ayana. She showed me the RuPaul Supermodel of the World music video. And I was, I, I mean, it was over. I mean, look at me now. <laughs> like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it, it, was, it was done from that point on. I just was just like, I think I was four. Yeah, it was over. It was done with. That was everything. Yeah. Those legs. Those legs, you know? And I remember, like, sitting, like, Indian style on the floor and, like, the TV, like, and as the camera's panning up at RuPaul's legs and me just being like, holy shit, what's that? Wow. I just projected myself into that image and I was like, I want to be that. I want to be that. Mm. Mm. Now, I read that you worked as a sales associate at an adult store. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if you have any fond memories of your time there. Can you sort of contextualize what the store was like and what working there was like? That sounds like so much fun. So it was this place called Tulip Toy Gallery. And it was like this very kind of bougie adult toy store where like all of the products were like out on like these really artistic displays for people to be able to like come in and like see them and so it was my job to just be in the know about all the products on the market and also just understanding about what is just good for people to be able to use in like intimate moments because also like health is really important so honestly some of my favorite memories from it because even though it was in the queer neighborhood there's a lot of brunch places by. And so a lot of times on like Saturday brunch, you would get the occasional like hetero couple that would wander in. And like, they would definitely be like inquiring about experiencing and experimenting with pegging. And I just hope, I helped a lot of people, you know, come to like really amazing terms. And I gave people books. It was really great to have a conversation with a heterosexual man about what the experience would be like for him to be penetrated for the first time and what he mm. wanted that to be like. You know, it was it was great. People loved me. I helped a lot of people. That's that's absolutely amazing. <laughs> you know, you and Alaska have that in common because Alaska uh, worked at Circus of Books before a Drag Race similarly. And so I feel like yeah. this is just, there's something about All-Stars winners and working at sex stores. There's, I'm seeing something here. You know, I think we just want to help as many people in many different <laughs> facets as we possibly yeah. can. And I think yeah. that um, Alaska and I are probably two good girls for that are just like great at making people feel comfortable. And educating people about pegging. Yes. uh, It's important. Yes, more people need to try it. Yes. So this show Drag Race had been on for eight seasons before you first appeared on the show. When did it feel like a viable path for you? I mean, I'm sure you had seen the show and I I think you auditioned a few times before coming on. When did you first decide, okay, I want to do that? And was there a certain queen on the show that you saw and you were like, okay, she's the one? I saw season three. And that was, it was the first season that I saw. And I, I mean, it 
took maybe a total of four minutes before I was hooked. And I was just like, yes. And maybe a total of uh, two episodes before I was like, this is a viable career. But the hairball challenge in season three just blew me away. And watching the creative process, especially as someone, because I went to school for costume design, like with that background and seeing like these girls could put together such dynamic looks that to me was the icing on top of the cake because I was just like you know this beats project runway because these girls get to go out here and like live their America's next top model fantasy and I would say first queen it honestly has to be GGB (laughs) I really because Right after watching season three, I went and watched season two, like, immediately after. And I remember just, like, her personality, me being like, I feel like me and her would get along so well. And little did I know, me and her get along so well. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the great joys of watching All Stars 5 was watching this friendship between the two of you. And although, obviously, it was a competition, it very much felt like a love fest between, especially between the final three, you could tell how much you all loved each other and mm-hmm. how much you all were fans of one another. Because, mm-hmm. like you said, you watch each other on this show, and you can't not be fans of one another. You're also fucking talented. And, I mean, honestly, B could make friends with a paperclip. Like, she's just, like, that type of human being. So, like, that's one of the things that's just so lovable about her. You know, you, you really have to make it hard for her not yeah. to, to, like, you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So I want to ask about fame because, not Miss Fame, the, the concept of fame. Enjoy Switzerland, I, girl. I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, those pics. Those oh nudes. She's, she's, she's living her best life. So this is a really interesting show in that the second you appear on this show, you are going to have some level of fame. I mean, I think a lot about Vanjie in season 10, who came on for one episode, one episode only, and was a superstar it was a phenomenon afterwards and so i'm curious coming off of season nine how did you first deal with fame and was it something that you settled into easily or was it something that there was sort of an adjustment period in which you had to get used to the scrutiny that comes with fame both good and bad yeah i think probably maybe for me where i may struggle the most is that i don't feel famous that's something like fame so much more so I feel like is a feeling that other people have towards you and for me I feel like sometimes I 
though I have like learned some of the nuances of how to like navigate the way that people perceive me, I feel like having the opportunity to go on a reality show, which allows you to be vulnerable and open, gives context, some context to like who you are. And I've, I've been fortunate enough that people have generally been pretty respectful of like me and my boundaries. So I don't know, I feel like I walk down the street and feel just like still regular old 26 year old me prior to RuPaul's Drag Race, like especially in Chicago, but it's cute when someone stops you in the coffee shop and like congratulates you, you know, but it feels like it could be just like a friend at the club or something like for me, it hasn't really changed anything for me at all. Do you think that the fame has emboldened you at all with regard to your work in, in the activism space? Because you have this platform now with which you can really speak about so many issues that are going on in the world and amplify, whether it be the cause or your feelings about said cause. Do you think it's changed the way you sort of exist in the activist space? No, not at all. I just feel like people listen to me now. Mm. I was just as loud and I was just as emboldened in my activism prior to being on TV. No one just, just no one listened, you know? <laughs> but like, so many things have changed now. Like the, the BLM movement has so much momentum now. Like the microphones are being shifted to Black voices. So now people are like really hearing me. But I've, I've been loud for a, for, for a long time. So next, I have a question from a super fan of yours that I think you might know. Shay Kool-Aid, what's my name? It's Priyanka from Canada's Drag Race. First of all, I fucking love you. I don't know if I can swear, but if I can't, Evan Ross, blank it out or whatever. You bleep it. I'm losing my mind. I'm losing my mind. Um, hey, Shay, it's me, Priyanka. Big fan. Love your work. Um, I was wondering, on my season, I was named the Lip Sync Assassin because I'm an icon, but I want to know if you were to send me home on one song, what would that song be? Um, okay, gosh, wow. I would say the song that I would have to send you home to, unfortunately, Priyanka, <laughs> would be another glam, one of my favorite covers, Whitney Houston's I'm Every Woman. I would have to send you home to that. Sorry. I, I feel like I also need to redeem myself on a Whitney Houston lipstick. Fair. Are you enjoying Canada's Drag Race? I cannot get enough of it. I love it so much. Oh my gosh. Like the girls, the personality is just like everything. I, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's such a breath of fresh and I am so excited for all of these girls. And they're just so lovable. I mean, from the moment they walked into the workroom. They really are. I want to switch gears a bit. And this was a question that I got a lot from people when I announced that I would be talking with you. So in June, T-Rex, a prominent figure in the Chicago drag scene, was dropped from her hosting gigs at Roscoe's and Berlin, two of Chicago's most popular gay bars, as Black members of the community began publicly detailing experiences of discrimination and anti-Blackness from her and others in Chicago's queer community. You yourself detailed your own experience during a virtual town hall in June. Without asking you to retread on past traumas, I'm wondering if you can provide an update on where the conversation has landed in the months since. Well, there have been follow-up conversations between Chicago's Black Drag Council and owners and management of local bars as to how to make spaces more inclusive and to help 
create some reformative justice for the damages that have been done to the Black members in this queer community. As far as T-Rex is concerned, I do not know where or what she is up to. I hope she's healing. That's all I can really say about her. But I know that here in Chicago, like as far as the community and what we're doing to help our Black trans queer individuals is to just provide more support and resources to organizations like Molasses and the Brave Space Alliance so that we can try to help the members in our community that are most at risk and most in need. Mm. My perception as someone outside of the drag space is that the Chicago drag scene is a particularly tight-knit group of individuals. And I noticed just from looking at how much the conversation boiled up on Twitter about how much people were invested in this conversation, that clearly people have a vested interest in making the Chicago drag scene better and a safer space, particularly for Black queens. For people that don't know, can you kind of detail what is it about the Chicago drag scene that makes it different than the drag scene in other major cities? I think that what makes the Chicago drag scene really, it's like we collectively as a community are really supportive. And I feel like in Chicago, if you come here and you're a drag queen who just has a point of view, and like something to really like showcase, you will find people that will support you. And I think it's that kind of, it's this way that Chicago has this ability to cultivate talent in a way that I think is really interesting. And we like to nurture artists. I think that's what makes it really cute for me. Mm. I wanna talk about Jeffrey Boyer Chapman, yeah, who is one of the judges on Drag Race Canada, who I love a lot. Mm -hmm. And I made some jokes about him on Twitter early on in the season about the way in which I felt like he was sort of performing a version of RuPaul that I now regret making because I feel like I am part of a culture that has sort of allowed for Jeffrey to be the butt of a joke on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to talk to you about it because I saw recently that Monique Hart called a lot of the vitriol that has been aimed at Jeffrey Blair Chapman online. She called it subconscious internal anti-blackness during a recent stop on the pit stop. And then the Vixen went as far as quote tweeting that saying, uh, I'm gonna say it loud. Y'all are giving Jeffrey Boyer Chapman all this hate because he's a black man, keep it. I'm wondering what your thoughts are with regards to the conversations around Jeffrey and the difference between critiquing him as a judge and when those criticisms become, as Monique was saying, subconscious internal anti-blackness. Yeah, see, the thing is, I it's, it's so unfortunate because as somebody too who also really loves Jeffrey Boyer Chapman, you know, I'm still waiting on our date from Snatch Game <laughs> of Love. Yes! I am so saddened that he had to pull away and deactivate his social media because of the way that people were treating him. And I feel like for some reason, people feel extremely, extremely comfortable just telling Black people in general how they should be acting. And it is a form of oppression. Like, I feel like a lot of times we're constantly being critiqued about the way that we act or, you know, there's so many angles where I feel like Black people have to finesse themselves to be palatable, especially in the entertainment industry, because at the end of the day, like you want to be liked unless you're like actually playing a scripted villain where you're like, okay, well, I have this, you know, guys to hide behind. It's, it can be really exhausting. 
And I feel like anti-Blackness just runs so rampant. It's, it's something that I feel like I am somewhat numb to because mm-hmm. I feel like I have, as an outsider, been able to look and see the way all the tropes that Black people are placed in. And I feel like I have been able to study the delicate balance of how to handle the majority and handle white fans and white people to always kind of appeal to their ego in a way that allows them to hear my message and receive me. (laughs) But having to do that dance is exhausting. And I feel like people don't leave room for error for Black individuals. And there's always just like, they're always just so ready to crucify. And it's just like, they forget that people are human and that they see the things that they write and say. And I feel like people should just be more considerate and conscientious of that, you know? We get all kiki and have good fun, but it started off that way, like you said. And then I felt like it just shifted. And I, I, I don't know where that happened, but Monique's why saying that it was linked to anti-Blackness, I feel really does hold a lot of weight. Yeah, and, and I just want to add one thing I think that I take away from the experience is just even though I might put something out there meant in a lighthearted way, just as like a critique of the way he was judging, I think because we know the toxicity that is Twitter, I think anyone with a platform, myself included, has to be mindful about even the ways in which we might be poking fun at something. There are people out there who are going to take that and run with it. I think he's fantastic. I think the show is better off with him on it. But anyway, I want to talk about self-management and entrepreneurship versus mm-hmm. working with agents or managers, as is the case for you. You are really in control of Shea Coulee, the business. And I think mm-hmm. that's really admirable. And I think it's something that doesn't get talked about enough. What is it like running this operation and making Shea Coulee, the performer, a profitable business in which you can support your life and your career? It definitely, in the beginning stages, it was uncomfortable because a lot of times we are kind of encouraged to think that we can't manage and take control of our careers as artists, you know, that it's like, you just worry about the creating and like the showing up and the blah, 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 and this and that. So for me to have to like, you know, look at numbers and come up with plans at first was a little bit difficult. But what I learned for myself was that I need to be able to advocate for myself and learn how to communicate and negotiate and be able to have conversations and have a seat at the table because then that brings me value. You know, because like that knowledge, it helps to increase my value and it has allowed me to make smarter decisions because I understand more the inner workings of what goes behind powering a creative career like this and making smart money decisions and negotiating deals. And I feel like also people knowing that I am on the other side of that email, it removes a certain level of the like bullshit that we do in like Hollywood and entertainment. Of, like there always needs to be this person in the middle. Like I actually just know, I want you to know that you're conversing with a human being 
that understands what their value is and what their worth is. And I told myself, I was like, if Beyonce can manage herself mm. with the career that Beyonce has, I'm like, my little drag queen ass can do that too. When did you become aware that drag, that you had reached a level of success, that drag could be something that could be your whole career? Because when you and I were younger, being a drag queen would not have been a sustainable career. Now, with the cottage industry that Drag Race has created, you can make mm -hmm. a career out of performing and not just performing. I, I look at what you did with Shea Kulele. You know, it's like you're making business opportunities happen for yourself. When did you realize that this was a viable path for you? I want to sound like there's always this strategy, but sometimes you just throw things out there in the universe and hope that they're a success. You know, you pause and you think about it and you're like, could this work for my brand? Could people enjoy this decision, this endeavor? Could this bring people joy? And if you think that it fits and it feels right, then I just go for it, you know? And I just like, always make sure that I'm trying to make smart decisions that are also like timely and not to rush and do too much. I always want to focus on quality because I feel like that is always remembered. It's funny you said it. It's like when I think about you, I think about taste. You know, and so when you mentioned quality, I think I want to say, I think you're very successful at that because there's a lot of people that touch a lot of projects, but the quality depletes because of wanting to be everywhere. And so mm -hmm. I really admire quality. And I think that quality and that taste level that you have, it shows through in so much of the work that you do. So speaking of quality and taste level, let's talk about fashion. Actually, the last time I saw you in person was at the Christopher John Rogers runway show. Yeah, it was my birthday. Our boy CJR. <laughs> yes. Our boy CJR just outfitted Lady Gaga at the VMAs, and we are so fucking proud. I'm curious yes, to learn more about your process in selecting the looks for season nine and All Stars 5. I imagine on the one hand, you want to gag the judges and the audience alike. Well, on the other hand, you don't want to spend so much money that the cash prize ends up being debt repayment. And as we just <laughs> talked about, you are a business person. How were you sort of contending with these two desires to both stay on a budget, but also you want the good stuff? Yeah, I think it really pays to be nice and <laughs> be respectful I have learned over the years how to really politely ask and, you know, ask and you shall receive. And I feel like when it comes to things that are seen on the runway, those are always such iconic moments. So deciding whether or not you want to commission something for something to be built, or if you just want to borrow for the moment, then do what you have to do to maximize on not spending so much. I honestly think on season nine, I only spent $400 on that entire package and just like locked myself in my apartment for two weeks with my friends and made everything else. And it actually wasn't too different from All Stars 5. Like really, truly, we, we worked and collaborated with a lot of people, but we were there stoning and sewing and I mean, constructing and building and doing just so many projects, you know, up until the very last moment. And I think it's just about figuring out how to tell the most successful story. Do you have a, a runway look from either season nine or All-Stars 5 that has the most meaning for you, not just necessarily in how it aesthetically came out, but the story behind it, how it sort of came to be? 
I would have to say my pink finale gown based off my mom's prom dress. That one to me is just such a precious, precious, precious moment. And I just felt like a hundred million billion dollars on that runway that night. And I, I've never showcased a look like that before. And mm. for me, that dress was kind of like one of my earliest moments of associating something with glamour. And I think bringing it to such a full circle moment in All Stars really, yeah, is like the icing on top of the cake. Jaw dropping. Before we wind down, I want to talk about Housewives a little bit. I know you are a really big Housewives fan. So what is it that gravitates you about the Housewives? I, okay, so I love how your face just lights up. (laughs) I have to say, I have to say, like for me, I think what I love most about it is the emotional sparring that goes on and like the tete-a-tete. It brings out the theater actor training the Stanislavski and like the Meissner and like it, it like each brunch or lunch or dinner moment to me I I feel like I am looking at a brilliant scene and as a viewer I feel like a director who is like are they giving me what I need from it so for mm-hmm. instance the Amsterdam fight that from start to finish is an opera. It is beautiful. The stakes continue to grow. Kim Richards, who we have seen oh be a character who ran from conflict in every other season, sitting firm in the center of the dinner table, taking on powerhouses like Lisa Rinna, with one-liners like, why don't you eat a piece of bread and maybe you'll Ugh. calm down a little bit. I, you, oh, just, oh. and Lisa Rinna with the glass, just the oh way my that God. it built. There's, you, that is Oscar-worthy. Yeah, I it, love it, the it, Housewives. Yeah. Because it's yeah. human, like, natural human interaction, but you see the stakes and, like, all of it panning out in this beautiful cinematic way. And as a viewer, as just a lover of drama, it is everything. It's everything. And I love that you bring up the Amsterdam clip because I believe that's also the scene that gave us Beast, Eileen Davidson um, saying Beast to to Kim Richards. You want to bring out my stuff? Let's talk about your home Kim. life. Excuse me, I'm not oh, talking to you. Well, I'm you talking to you. Excuse me, shame on you. I'm not, shame I'm on not you. talking to you. And I'm talking Shut to your you. Shut your mouth. I've had enough of you, you beast. Beast? Yes. How dare you? It also gave us the iconic shot of Kyle Richards fleeing the scene. Running out. Yeah, which is like Forgetting her purse. a very important gift. But it's funny you say that because I feel like one of the things about being a real Housewives watcher as opposed to just seeing like the clips that go around social media is that we know everything that that led up to building up to the Amsterdam scene. And so the payoff that comes with these iconic moments in watching the full scene, I mean, it really is. And you know, a lot of people love to do this. Oh, these shows are scripted. And I do think that there are elements, like for instance, I don't believe the Denise storyline is real that's playing on, on Beverly Hills right now. 
can't wait to get to the bottom of this because this is just not, yeah, I've been having a lot of questions. I've been having a lot of questions, you know? But in general, a lot of the stuff that does play out on these shows, like the conflicts are real and it's really fun to watch. It's interesting though, because did you feel any pressure? There are parallels between Housewives and Drag Race, especially in Untucked. Did you ever feel any pressure, especially as a seasoned Housewives watcher, there were some of these great moments with you on All Stars 5 where you were kind of sipping the straw and it was mm-hmm. like, I felt like you were like an avatar of the fan sort mm-hmm. of watching all of this, the sort of way, the way we watch Housewives and say, mm, like, yes, yeah. she is coming for her. <laughs> do, were you, do you feel like you're influenced at all as a Housewives viewer in sort of how you reacted in certain moments on All Stars? Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I feel like I definitely take a page from like Candy Burris's book I always want to be able to navigate with intent and like to be like conscious of where I am, but also be down for the kiki, like getting, and also just getting to the bottom of the truth. Because, you know, it's really interesting when like certain things are, because there's so much that goes on in the show and conversations that you're not a part of. So sometimes, you know, people bring things back to a group that, you know, you start to wonder like, okay, like, what's the realty? Like, let's always get down to it. And I feel like for me, at least from what I had learned from all of my housewives watching, I felt really honestly went into the season nine reunion. For me, like, me and Valentina's discussion, I knew in that moment, I was like, this is my Real Housewives moment. And this is where we're going to have that moment where you're just all like, okay, like we're both standing firm and like the way that we feel. So like, let's see who can come out on top of this conversation. I'm really bad with social media. I kind of just love to live my everyday life and I don't really like to be involved in what people think or what people are saying. Girl, you could say that you're not on social media, but when we were in Montreal, you were on that phone checking every like, every follow, every single thing. Whether you were reading the comments verbatim or not, you knew what was going on. And also, when we were shooting the promo for this show, you said to me, you go, Shay, I just wanna say, If anyone comes for Nina, I told her that I will stand up for her, I will address my fans, and I will make it all right. I'm confused. You don't need to be confused, and you have lots of opinions of me tonight, Shay. There's no reason to get upset with me. We're just talking. No, you're the one that's upset. I'm not upset. Do I look upset to you? It's such a wonderful moment in which the drama feels real, but it feels elevated. Like you both understood the arena that was the reunion. And like, you both were like, we need to, we're having a real argument right now, but we both need to level up to bring this to a place that it can be iconic. And and yeah. my God, you both <laughs> stuck the landing on that one. Um, highly you. encourage anyone, talk about a reunion to go back and revisit. The season nine reunion, Blueprint. I mean, really, like, um, the other girls are shaking. I want to thank you so very much. And I just want to say, beyond being, like, such a talented person, you're such a kind human being. You really are such a kind person. And I think that if there's one thing anyone can take away from both your run on Drag Race and from this interview right now, it's just the importance of 
staying, not just staying true to yourself, because if true to yourself is not kind, then not so much. But, <laughs> but what it just goes to show you is like, you know, you talked about, for instance, like having your friends helping you to get those costumes and everything ready. And it's like, people wouldn't be doing that for you if they didn't feel like you supported them in return. And it just yeah. goes to show the fact that you have this enormous friend group and this base of supporters, it's because of the kindness that, that comes from you. So just want to thank you for your time so much. And I again, want to congratulate you on a phenomenal run on All Stars 5. What a pleasure it was amidst this world that seems to be increasingly crumbling all around us to have the joy mm -hmm. that you and the other girls brought us this season. Yes, thank you so much, Evan. I've had so much fun. Shut up, Evan. Shut up, Evan. Shut up, Evan. Shut Up Evan is produced by Matt Storm with associate production by Ryan Killian Krause and social media by Sean Ross. An extra special thank you to our Patreon supporters, without whom none of this would be possible. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.